So, there was once a professor who used to lecture people on child-rearing. And he was in academia for a long time. He had lectured through his single years and his parenting years. However, through the years, his lectures evolved. When he was single, he started off by calling his lectures the Ten Commandments for Parenting. After having his first child, he changed the title to the Ten Hints for Parenting. After his second child, he changed the title to the Ten Suggestions for Parenting. And then when he had his third child, he stopped lecturing. <laughs> Church, let's face it, parenting isn't easy, right? Every parent wants their children to obey. Every parent wants their children to get along. Every parent wants their children to love one another. But no matter how good of a parent they are, and no matter how much they set their children up for success, at the end of the day, obedience still falls on the children. It's a choice that they need to make. Now, if you're a parent, you know this to be true. When they choose to obey, it brings unity and peace into the home and pleasure to the parents, right? But when they choose to disobey, it brings disunity into the home and lack of peace and displeasure to the parents. Well, the same is true when it comes to the church family. You see, God wants his children, you and I, to love one another. And as we've seen over the past few weeks, he's equipped us with everything we need to get the job done. He's given us his Holy Spirit as a helper. And so when we submit to the Spirit and we walk in obedience to God's command, there's unity and there's peace in the church and there's pleasure. There's pleasure not only in the church, but God the Father is pleased. On the other hand, when we don't, there's disunity, there's lack of peace, and there's lack of pleasure. Are you, are you with me? Now, you may not realize this, but God's command to love one another is so important that it actually serves as a primary measure of our spiritual growth. And it also serves as a primary symbol of Christendom to the world. Look at the words of Jesus in John 13, 35. He said, by this all people will know that you are my disciples. See, all people, the world, will know that you are my disciples. Spiritual growth, if you have love for one another. You see, just as Nike is known for its swoosh, and Converse is known for its star, Apple is known for its apple, and McDonald's is known for its golden arches, we as Christians, as followers of Christ, should be known for our love for one another. Jesus declared it a defining trademark of our faith. And so this morning, as we continue our study in the Gospel of John, we're going to find Jesus reinforcing this truth to his disciples. And in doing so, he's going to teach them and us not only how to love one another, but the blessing that comes as a result. And so today's truth to remember uh, is this. When we obey the commands of Jesus, we enjoy close friendship with Jesus. And so we're going to unpack what that looks like uh, in today's message. But before we do, I want you to open up your Bibles to John chapter 15. It's page 902 in your pew Bible if you don't have your own Bible with you. And so while you're turning to John 15, let me just ask God's blessing one more time uh, before we jump into his word. So Lord God, I want to thank you for the opportunity to, to speak on such an important topic, to love one another. And God, we, we admit that this is something that uh, we, is, is not always easy uh, for us to do in the flesh, and uh, it's downright hard. 
and, and God, we thank you that, that you've equipped us to, to, to obey this command and, and not only equipped us, God, but, but the, the pleasure that you get when we do and the friendship that we enjoy when we do is such a blessing. And, and God, I pray that you would uh, help us to see that today and then, and then whatever it is that you reveal to us, God, that we would actually live it out uh, each and every day in this context, in the church context, that we would love each other like Jesus. And I ask this all uh, in your precious name. Amen. So church, if there was anyone who needed to be reminded of the importance of loving one another, it was the disciples. Remember, Jesus was about to go to the cross, and he entrusted his closest followers to carry on his work. And the only way for his followers to carry on God's work unimpeded is for the purveyors of his work to get along with each other, to love one another. Why? Because a house divided against itself, what? Can't stand. And so we're going to begin by reading today's passage in John 15, and then we'll break it down uh, more closely. So John 15, uh, starting in verse 12, Jesus said, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has none than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends For all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. You know, there's a cardinal rule in advertising. It's known as the seven times factor. And basically the rule says that a potential customer needs to see an advertisement at least seven times uh, or more before they buy the product that's advertised. In fact, most people don't even notice a product that's being advertised until they saw it for the seventh time. Well, interestingly enough, this is about the seventh or eighth time in a short period of time that Jesus links love and obedience together. Now, I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure Jesus wants his disciples and you and I to buy into what he's selling right now. Are you with me? So found within today's passage are three truths concerning love for one another. Let's look at the first. It's the mandate to love. The mandate to love. It's it's the first part of verse 12. Jesus said, this is my commandment, that you love one another. A story is told of a girl who regretted breaking her engagement. And so she wrote this letter. Dearest Tommy, no words could ever express the great unhappiness I've felt since breaking our engagement. Please say you'll take me back. No one could ever take your place in my heart, so please forgive me. I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. Yours forever, Marie. P.S. and congratulations on winning the state lottery. You see, church, unlike Mary's love for Tommy, the type of love that Jesus describes here is not based upon feelings or conditions. Many may wonder, how can Jesus command us to love one another? Can true love really be commanded? How can I love someone that I barely know? Or how can I love someone that drives me nuts? Well, friends, true love can be commanded. Why? Because the type of love that Jesus uh, commands is different than the world's definition of love. You see, the world bases love off of deep feelings and performance and fickle sediment. People fall in and out of love like crazy, right? 
remember being in youth group and like the teens would like find each other for the first time and they would like claim that they love each other after like an hour. It's like, do you even know her last name, dude? Come on, man. Um, but love comes and goes, the world's version of love, right? On the other hand, the type of love that Jesus commands stems from the Greek word agape. And the essence of agape love is faithfulness, commitment, and an act of the will. You see, even though agape love can often be accompanied by feelings, it's not based on feelings. Agape love is primarily a choice. It's a choice. Earlier in his ministry, Jesus taught the disciples in Matthew 5, verses 43 to 44, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now, Pastor Jim Cimbala wisely noted, whenever there's a command from God, there must be provision from God. You see, if agape love were merely based on feelings or conditions, we'd never be able to love our enemies or those who rub us the wrong way because we wouldn't really feel like it, right? But because agape love is a choice, we are able to obey. Plus, God has already given us the power to obey. Look at Romans chapter 5, verse 5. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. God's love poured into our, heart, our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And so this is a truth that the disciples needed to hear. Remember, God was about to use them in a remarkable way to preach the gospel and really give birth to the church. And so in order to accomplish this great task, there could be no room for rivalry or disunity or suspicion because these things would get in the way of advancing God's kingdom work. And the same is true with the church today. And it's really important that we remember this. I, I just, uh, just this past week, I read an article. It was called uh, The Pain of Disunity. And in it, the author said this. A church fighting is as heartbreaking and appalling as an army turning and shooting its own people. Surely the enemy, the devil who prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour, is pleased and present in such circumstances. Instead of uniting to advance God's kingdom, a church that fights within herself wastes countless amounts of energy and time devouring her members. Friends, at the core of disunity is, is gossip, Lack of forgiveness, lack of prayer, lack of submission, selfishness, and a whole host of other things. All stemming, really, from a lack of love. And if this goes unchecked, it will wreak havoc on a church. It will hurt, or excuse me, hinder Christ's work, and it will hurt our testimony to the world. This is why I, along with pastors Dan and Dave, take church unity so seriously. This is why you hear us talk about it on a fairly regular basis from the pulpits. Because, you see, our, our mission here as a church is to help people find and follow Jesus. And if the people that we're trying to reach come in and see people who know Jesus doing this with each other, that's not really helping the mission, is it? And so we got to take this thing seriously. So, friends, the body of Christ is meant to be diverse. It is meant to be diverse. But it's never meant to be disunified. So even though we may all be different, you see, our unity actually comes through Christ. You know, it's, not about, it's not about working for unity. It's, it's working to maintain the unity we already have, right? Because we already have unity in Christ. 
We just need to, to be committed to maintaining that unity with each other. So the Apostle Paul said it best in Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. He says, I urge you to walk in a manner of the calling which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of, of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Very important. And so God's mandate to love one another is abundantly clear to his disciples. Now the question becomes like, how? All right, let's, like, how do we love one another? What does this thing look like? And this leads us to the second truth concerning love. We have the mandate to love. Now we have the manner to love. The manner. How do we do this? Look at verses 12 and 13. Jesus said, this is my commandment that you love one another. How? As I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. There was once a little girl who asked a little boy, do you love me? And the boy said, yes, dear. The girl then said, would you die for me? And the boy responded, no, mine is an undying love. (laughs) Church, this joke actually illustrates a sad but true reality in the church today, many believers tend to have an undying love toward one another. In other words, their love for one another has has limitations. And of course, this is sad because this is the exact opposite of the manner of love that Jesus calls us to. Look at verse 13 again. He says, greater love has no one than this that he lay down his life for his friends. Now, We all know this is the ultimate act of love, right? To lay down one's life for your friends. We also know that Jesus, of course, is foreshadowing what was about to happen on the cross. He was about to display this kind of love uh, for the world. But the reality is, there's a good chance that most of us will never die for someone else. And it's not necessarily because we're unwilling. It's because we're probably not going to have the opportunity to do so, right? I mean... Statistically speaking, it's probably not going to happen. Well, it's interesting here because the verb that Jesus used for love is actually in the imperfect tense, meaning it's an ongoing action. And so if Jesus' command was only limited to literally dying for someone else, then by its very nature, it wouldn't really be ongoing because death is a one-and-done deal. And so therefore, when Jesus calls us to lay down our lives for our friends on a practical level, It also refers to this ongoing command to die to ourselves, to put aside our own selfish needs and feelings and desires to meet the needs of our brothers and sisters in Christ. 1 John 3, verse 16, Dan read it before communion. It says, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, And we know he ultimately did that at the cross, but think about how he lived his life, right? And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. So what exactly does this look like in the church setting? What does it look like in the day-to-day church life with one another? Well, buckle up, because it means a lot. And I'm just going to read some of the things that it means. It means we are to be devoted to one another. Give preference to one another in honor. Be of the same mind toward one another. Stop judging one another. Pursue the building up of one another. Accept one another. Admonish one another. Greet one another. Wait for one another. Care for one another. Serve one another. Bear one another's burdens. Show forbearance to one another. Be kind to one another. 
Forgive one another. Speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. I'm about half done. Be subject to one another. Regard one another as more important. Not lie to one another. Teach one another. Comfort one another. Not speak against one another. Not complain against one another. Confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another. Be hospitable toward one another. Clothe yourself with humility toward one another. Church, all those are backed by scripture, by the way. And I can go on, but I think you get the point. Jesus loved his disciples in precisely the way I just described. And he was calling his disciples and us to follow his example. Now I get it. All those one another's kind of seem like an insurmountable task, right? It seems like, wow, how in the world can I possibly do this? Well, I'll tell you what, in our own strength, it is an insurmountable task. But we need to remember that we're not called to do it in our own strength, right? We've talked about this week after week after week after week. Jesus gave the disciples the power to do this. He has given us the Holy Spirit. The same promise that was given to the disciples 2,000 years ago is given to every single believer on planet Earth. Look at, again at John chapter 14, verse 16. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. And so the key to following Jesus' example is submitting to his spirit. Get yourself out of the way and submit to his spirit because when we do, then we're going to have the power to love one another like him, right? And so when we love one another like Jesus, there is a wonderful benefit that comes as a result. And this leads us to the third truth concerning love. It's the motivation to love. The motivation. Let's begin by looking at verse 14. Jesus said, you are my friends if you do what I command you. You know, church, sadly, there's many believers are friends to Jesus like they have friends on Facebook, right? They follow him from a distance. They may like what he has to say every once in a while. Heck, they may even love what he has to say every once in a while. But at the end of the day, there's no real relationship Friendship has no depth, and it's really kind of by association only. And needless to say, this is not what God wants. It's not the kind of relationship he wants with his children. On the other hand, there's believers who walk in obedience to Christ. They're promised to have this real, growing, intimate friendship with him. Not this, this stuff that happens on social media, which is just so fake. And not, it's just... Blah, right? But this is real. This is people connecting with one another. It's intimacy. And that's what Jesus promises to those who walk in obedience to him. Look at verse 15. He said, No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I've heard from my father, I have made known to you. Now, if you're anything like me, then your life is an open book. Except, your life is an open book to certain people. In other words, I've got uh, a few very close, very trusted friends that I share the most personal parts of my life with. They're the ones who know me well, who have my well-being in mind, and and they've earned my trust. And so if I have any big ideas, if I have decisions to make, if I've got problems to resolve, more than likely, they're the ones that know about it. They're privy to my plans. Well, see, the same is true with close friends of Jesus. 
Concerning this type of friendship, one commentator notes the Greek word for friend here means a friend in court. And so it describes the inner circle around the king or an emperor. The friends of the king would be close to him and would know his secrets. Church, one of the greatest privileges of being a close friend to Jesus is being privy to his plans. And what do I mean by that? Well, see, the more that we study God's word, and the more time that we spend in prayer, and the more that we walk in obedience to his commands, the more we start to develop the mind of Christ, and in turn, God will open up himself and his will more towards us. Does it make sense? Are you with me? Does it make sense? Say yes. Okay. And so, and so it's, it's, it makes sense. You invest in the relationship, right? And see, the moment when we believe in Jesus, the moment when we believe in Jesus, our friendship with God begins. However, just like any friendship, if it's going to grow, then we need to invest in that relationship, right? If you want to be part of God's inner circle, then you need to spend time with him, and you need to walk in obedience to him. J. Oswald Sanders said, each of us is as close to God as we choose to be. Isn't that interesting? If you're not close to God, it's because you're choosing not to be close to God. I mean, the onus is on us to put into this. God is offering this amazing friendship with him. It's right there. But the onus is on us to actually invest in that friendship. It's a good quote. Good reminder. Now, the prospect of a close friendship with Jesus should be more than enough to motivate us to obedience, right? But we're, we're crazy people, and you know, we need more because you know, that's, a lot of times that's just never enough. And so Jesus closes his teaching by revealing one more motiv- motivating factor uh, to love. Look at verses 16 and 17. He said, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should what? Go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give to you. These things I command you that you love one another. You know, a few weeks ago I was playing basketball with Pastor Dan and some of the teens. And at one point we selected captains and we picked teams. You know, you handpicked teams with the captains. And so typically when you're a captain, uh, you begin by picking players who can produce the most threat uh, on the basketball court. And then you kind of like work your way down. Each captain picks their people until, you know, no one's left. Now, for the record, I hate picking teams this way. Because when I was a kid, like little girls would get picked before I did. I was always like the last guy. Like, come on, man. I know I got like a weird shot, but like it goes in like 50% of the time, you know. My dad, forever making fun of my basketball shot. But I'm like, you know what, dad? Let's go on the court and let's talk about it a little bit. Um, I'm not bitter or anything. Right, so anyway... My daughter just started playing basketball, and I'm like crazy like in love with watching her play, and she has not inherited my awful shot. But anyway, um, nevertheless, the fact remains that captains handpick their teams or their people with a purpose in mind, right? And so whomever they choose, they choose for a reason. Well, church, Jesus chose the disciples for a specific reason. He chose them for service. And in the same way as believers, God has chosen us for service as well. He's chosen us to produce fruit that reflects his character and advances his work on this earth. Which is why there's nothing more unproductive, or nothing more tragic than an unproductive Christian life. You see, imagine being the captain of a team, right? And you pick players who you know can produce amazing fruit on the basketball court. But when the game time comes, 
They don't move very fast. They kind of miss shots. They're called for silly fouls. They don't play with any heart, and they don't listen to your guidance. How would you feel as the captain of the team? You'd feel grieved. You'd feel disappointed. You'd feel like, man, like, you let me down, you know? I chose you for a reason. I know what you're capable of, and you're just, it's not happening. Well, church, this is how God feels when his children, whom he's chosen to give everything that they need to produce in the faith, choose not to produce. When we make that decision, just go on the court and do it half-heartedly. Ephesians 4.30 says, and do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, he has identified you as his own son, or as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. Friends, when we choose to disobey, not only does it impede the cause of Christ, not only does it grieve the spirit of Christ, but it causes us to miss out on this wonderful, intimate relationship with Christ. You know, like Jesus is not just do all these things for me, but he also is like, here's what I have for you in return. Not only are we saved, but we have this opportunity to have this wonderful, close, intimate relationship with him. And so when we choose to obey, it opens up this world of intimacy and blessing. And that leads us back to today's truth to remember. When we obey the commands of Jesus, we enjoy close fellowship with Jesus. So I'd like to close briefly with a story uh, this morning, real, real, real short, I came across. and um, There's a story told of the old Apostle John, the, act, the one who wrote this gospel, who insisted on being with his congregation in Ephesus uh, for every meeting. And so when he was too old to walk, the people would carry him, and he always insisted on addressing the assembly before dispersing. The assembly loved his sermons more than bread, and so the message he preached was quite simple. He said, little children... Love one another. And the weakened old man could say no more, and the audience was powerfully moved. After this, his one-sentence messages remained the same. He'd go back to the church, and his one-sentence messages would remain the same. And so eventually the congregation began to grow a little apathetic towards what he had to say. And so finally someone asked him, But Master, why do you always say the same thing? And John replied, Because it's the Lord's command. Because this alone, if it is followed, is sufficient and adequate. Now, friends, I don't know if this story is true or not, but the truth behind it still remains. Loving one another is an essential part of our faith and our friendship with the Lord. And so in closing, I just want to ask, how many of you want to get this thing right and love others like Jesus? Say amen. You know, I I do too. It's really important, and in a church our size, all it takes is one person to cause some problems, right? Boom, 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 boom. One, love, one unloving action could cause uh, catastrophe, and we don't want any of that. And, and, and so church, it is going to take more than just talk. It's going to take more than just talk. We need a little action to back it up. And 1 John 3.18 says, Little children, let us not love in word or in talk, but in deed and truth. And so as we close this morning, I'm going to call the praise team forward. I'm just going to pray that God would help us do exactly what John uh, had commanded, had mentioned right here in John, uh, 1 John 3.18, that we could do this thing not just in talk, but in action and stay unified for the cause of Christ. Amen? Let's pray. 
Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for this morning, for the opportunity to bring your word and, and to bring up this really important topic. God, it is so important that we are committed to loving one another as Christ loved us. That we would lay down our lives for one another. Put our selfish desires and needs aside to meet the needs of other people. Because when we do, Lord, you are pleased. When we do, uh, our friendship with you grows. And when we do, the world begins to notice. It reminds me of the book of Acts, the early church, when they first were doing this. And it says in Acts 2 that, that they, the, the church had favor with those, with all of the people around them, including the world. There was something attractive about how the church loved one another. And God, we recognize we need to get back to that kind of love. So help us to maintain it here. Help us to grow in it here. And help us to honor you and glorify you through the process. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.